This episode is brought to you by the Nordstick, the number one way to train your hamstrings anywhere at any time. The number one injury burden in the game of soccer is, you guessed it, hamstring injury. What better way to prevent this than using the Nordstick? From endless Nordic curl variations for your hamstrings, to other lower body exercises, to even upper body and core exercises, you name your goal and the Nordstick can help you get there. Use the link in the description to learn more and get 10% off. Once again, use the link in this episode's description for 10% off. What's up, soccer players? Welcome to this latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It's me, your co-host, Andy, again here with Sarah. Sarah, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great, learning a ton on my clinical, and again, just happy to be here. How are you doing? How's Jersey? Uh, doing good. New Jersey is is the place to be. Um, it, it, honestly, it's been really warm here. And when I say warm, I mean it's been in the 30s and the 40s. Um, normally, it's quite a bit colder in January. That's like our coldest month here. Um, but yeah, it's only snowed once so far. Apparently, it's going to snow tomorrow. And uh, hopefully, it's not too bad. I think it's going to be about an inch or two. But um but yeah, life is good. Life is good. And today we actually have a, a very special guest uh, from down south, kind of where near you are, Russell, Orlando City. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. How are you? Hey, brother. Good. I'm excited to be a part of today's discussion. I know it's been a little while since we've chatted, and I think we connected probably sometime last year when we ran into each other at Orlando City. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually remember the first day I met you. Um, I think, I think the 17s were lifting in the outdoor gym. I remember that day and like you were, you were out here correcting people on form, helping with this, helping with that. I was like, wait, who is this guy? I don't know him yet, but I like him. Like he, he's actually like engaging with with the athletes. And I'm like, man, like, who is this? And then, you know, we chatted for a little bit. He's like, yeah, I'm Russell. I'm, I'm here from Florida, university of Florida, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, I like that cat. And then I remember I was actually talking with uh, one of the coaches down there, Javi, and Javi was like, oh, who is this? I was like, oh, that's Russell. And I'm like, Russell's good. Like, just work with Russell. He's legit. Um, But yeah, just thank you so much for joining. Um, First off, like, how how did you, what do you do right now? And how did you get there? Like, what's your education, your past experience? And how did that play into the role that you currently have right now? Yeah. Well, right now I, I'm I'm overseeing the first team nutrition um, for the, uh, for the first team, but uh, I'll be transitioning in the next uh, few weeks to overseeing the development academies um, performance work. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I have always been involved in some way um, in performance, even when I did soccer coaching, even when I was playing. Um, I was always a small, a small kid. I always was one of the smallest on the team. And I was always looking for ways to be impactful in some way because I, I played with um, a, a chip on my shoulder because I always felt like I, I was not getting the credit I deserved. And when I found uh, weightlifting and when I found the opportunity to get faster, I used it as a cheat code for me to try to prove others wrong. And, mm. um, I fell in love with it and I, I got the nickname in the college, um, of, my nickname was muscle hamster, uh, <laughs> because I was so small, 
but I was buff. Right. Mm. <laughs> and so, um, I, I thought it was funny. I liked it, but it, it became part of my identity at that time. And so the nutrition part came later when I started realizing that, you know, coupled with the weightlifting that I was doing, I was starting to really see, you know, drastic results, fell in love with nutrition and uh, went on a journey of really any time I uh, worked for some organization or some company in performance, nutrition was always part of it. Mm. So when I went to get my master's at the University of Florida in, in human performance, you know, nutrition was part of my studies. And, um, you know, I took ergogenic A classes and dietetic classes. And um, that really gave me a holistic view of what it means to be in performance. So, so at the club now, you know, I'm working on a couple of things, a couple of projects for the academy. We're developing psychology, uh, nutrition, and strength conditioning projects where we can develop and understand what does an Orlando City player look like and how do they act? So mm. the moment that we bring a player in, there's a style and a profile that we can bring players to understand. Mm. So it's a little bit of the work that I'm doing and um, going on a journey with the club of learning how to establish a specific type of player. Yeah, and I know when, when you say that, it's not just the technical piece. I mean, because... We, we have tons of good coaches everywhere who could really identify the technical player that they want to be. Um, when it comes to personality and behavior and even things like nutrition, which, which really, yes, it's a science, but it's also a behavior as well. Um, what are the things that are important for a, a young academy player to have in terms of, of tangible and intangible traits that, that fit the model the ideal model that you're looking to build. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think most coaches, the first thing they're looking for is can they play? Right. I think, I think from a performance aspect, the first thing I'm looking for is their teachability, right. Their openness, their humility to ask questions. Um, I, I've kind of coined the term um, at Orlando city and, and any other place that I've worked. I, I like to use the term confident vulnerability because most of the time people, when they hear vulnerability, they think of something as weakness or something that uh, is risky to give. Yeah. And so what I, what I try to um, invoke in people is that when you have vulnerability in a confident mindset, vulnerability never looks weak. It actually mm. looks like strength. Mm. And so I, we're inviting players to hold that in their hands and learn, to be open to new ideas that they've never considered. Um, and so, you know, the nutrition work, the psychology work, whatever strength the conditioning work we're doing, it's all new for them. And so that's partly fun to work in the development academy in that way. Um, but unfortunately, the older the player gets, the more I think they feel like they should know. Mm. And so they feel the pressures within a club and within uh, their developmental process to stop asking questions. And that's the unfortunate part because professionals, the greatest professionals are the ones that continue to ask the questions, the ones that continue to uh, um, be inquisitive about, about all aspects of their career, not just the soccer piece. So, you know, for me, when I'm engaging athletes, the, the one thing that I'm looking for is their inquisitiveness, their ability to ask questions. And usually those, those players... Um, 
they kind of skip a couple steps, right? Because they get little gold nuggets that they can use that their teammates aren't willing to ask for. Hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if I fully answered the question, but that, that's, that's something that we definitely, I'm, I'm definitely uh, engaging and I see when I'm looking for that. Hmm. Now, kind of a, a bigger picture question um, that fits into that, that conversation is, why is it important? And I mean, we, we both believe it is important, but maybe for someone who, who isn't bought into that yet, why is it important to build academy players to be well-rounded young men or women rather than, you know, just really good footballers? Like, how will that increase the potential or increase the value of their overall career? Yeah. I mean, I, this is the work that I've been doing the most lately, right? I, I think I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion that we are not honoring people's lives if we're not creating decent human beings in the process. Because mm-hmm. ultimately what we'd be doing is we're, we're, we put so much pressure on young athletes to be something that they're not They're kids. Um, and we're telling them to be professionals and they aren't. And they're identifying themselves as that, as professionals. If you look on their social media, on their Instagrams, it, they're identifying themselves as ballers or pro or, or, you know, semi pro players for Orlando city. And it can be argued. You're not a pro until you're getting paid. So they're identifying at a very young age who they are. Right. And what they're doing is they're saying the only thing that matters, plan A, plan B, plan C is soccer. It's the only thing. And I actually find that quite dangerous because Mm. what you do is you cut off part of who you are to become something that somebody's telling you to be. Mm. And so we're, we're sitting in, we're sitting in an academy where players are coming in with, um, uh, different style of clothes or different um, uh, different interests in their academics. And we're saying to them, soccer is the only thing that matters. But truthfully, if you get to know the player over a lunch or over, or when you're on the pitch, you start to find out that actually they're interested in fashion, mm. that they're actually, they're interested in, 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 you know, art. And you start thinking, if you want to increase a player's performance, why don't you help them actually engage those other things mm. so that they have some way of becoming so much more uh, on the field because they had another outlet. Mm. And so, and so for me, the idea of creating, you know, better human beings or better men is to help them understand that they're supported, not just in the game, but they're supported in so many other facets in life. Um, and ultimately when that happens, you create trust, you create some form of vulnerability where they start to, to, to share their life with you. Um, and then what comes out of that is performance. But when you go performance first, when you go strength conditioning first, nutrition first, uh, you get robots. And so for me, I've come to the conclusion that if you want to affect holistic change in people's life, care about the human being first, and then the performance will come after. Um, so, you know, the psychology work that we've done, um, has started to hint at that, that we want them to know that, you know, most of these players, they're not going to come become professional. Uh, you know, the statistics are against them. Yeah. And so I feel like we have some sort of, uh, um, uh, importance to say to them, we support you for who you are already. 
but we're on a journey with you to see if, 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 you know, you can develop in that way, but if you can't, it's okay because it shouldn't define you. Football should not define you. Um, but in the academy structures, you know, football is kind of life. And so it's easy to, to be, be defined in that way. And so this, this, is, this is a current that I'm swimming against right now. And it's a current that I think is healthy and right. Um, but it comes, it, it comes with its challenges. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that even because sometimes I ask players myself, I'm like, oh, like, and I, I've changed the way I, I approach the question because if you're there to to chase your dreams, then I will be there running with you and pushing you along. Um, so now, whenever I like I converse with players, I I frame the question with, when you're done playing the game of soccer, what else do you want to accomplish with your life? Um, and I, I feel like that gives them the freedom to to be a little bit more liberal with the way they they respond because I feel like sometimes if you say, well, what's your plan B? Then it's like. Uh, like I, I want to try my plan A type of thing, but I, I think the magic is really like you said when the two worlds come together because you could be a professional player, but that might not even be the best thing that you're at in life. For example, Pep Guardiola, incredible player, right? He's a better coach. It, it's clear, you know, like he went through an entire playing career and was so so successful, but that wasn't even his superpower, right? That's not why why he was made to be on earth. You know, he, he obviously had a different purpose. Um, so I, I think it's, it's what you said. Plus it's also like, okay, what else are you, are you really talented at? Because if you're talented at soccer, you have to be talented at something else. You're just a talented human being. And it's seeing where that talent crosses with, with what you actually like to do and maybe combining that with soccer. Because I mean, the, the kids that we work with, they have, such a privilege in being in such a high level environment. And when it's all said and done, when they're 20, 30, 40 years old, ideally they should have so many options available to them to what they want to do with the rest of your life. And like you said, I, th- I think it is an obligation on us to make sure they're aware of it and they're, they're actively pursuing it. Yeah, that's really well said. And, you know, um, you can't be a, you can't be a mature footballer if you're not emotionally mature, mm. right? And so we, for me, I'm continuing to engage reality that these players, they come from all over the world with all different economic and familial backgrounds. Some have support, some have zero. And so a coach, a trainer, a performance staff, um, they do have some type of obligation because they're in their club to support them, to care for them. And ultimately, any performance staff, you, you really work in, in, um, uh, in the area of care, right? Like that's kind of like your job is to care for people continually. And so, you know, the work of Orlando City right now and the work that I've, I've really been kind of putting my fingers on is – trying to help these players become emotionally mature because it is, it is a crazy world out there. And the expectations are that they be a hundred percent all the time. They give yourself a hundred percent in everything they do, but that's not physiologically or emotionally possible. Right. And so we like to use the buzzwords, but we can also hurt the players. if We don't help them engage in their own emotions. If we don't help them engage in their own psychology 
we don't help them engage what it means to recover both mentally, emotionally, and physically. Right. So, you know, this is the piece that I don't feel like we talk enough about as performance people. We love to talk about how to get somebody stronger, how to get somebody faster, how to help people cover better. But in my experience, helping people feel loved, supported, right, that actually creates better performance sometimes than actually some ridiculously good periodized plan. Yeah. So th there's a balance there, and, and that's something that we're trying to invoke. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. Uh, obviously, you, you do a lot of work with nutrition and, and performance. And I'm guessing that does involve a little bit with working with data. Um, overall, what's your what's your favorite part about working with data? Because like you said, it's numbers and, and all these criteria, they're one thing, but communicating that is another. So I'm very curious to see kind of what your take on, on data is overall, especially with all these tools coming into our sport, GPS, player maker, uh, wellness, all that kind of stuff. What's your, what's your overall take? Well, I think my favorite part is being able to tell a story, mm. right? Like I'm ultimately, I'm a storyteller. Um, I like to take the data, um, make it visual in a way that can tell a story about a player. Maybe there's a reason why we're at where we're at. Maybe this player is hurt because overuse injury, or um, maybe we can, we can look at, you know, uh, um, how many, like his load for the week and make a decision on why he shouldn't play. There's stories in every, in every decision that we make and how you present that story uh, can be both beneficial or hurtful for the player. Um, so if we can, if we can be a um, advocate for the player when talking to the coaches, then the players will start to trust us. We'll start mm. to trust the data. Mm. Um, but if we can also communicate it in a very simplistic, but helpful way for the coaches, the coaches will start to trust us and start to believe us. And what, what I find um, both in first team and academy is that coaches are overwhelmed by the data. They're just, mm -hmm. they're just overwhelmed. There's just so many decisions they have to make in a day. Mm -hmm. And if it's not simple, and it's not easily processable, it, it's just going to move across the desk. And so your ability, and I, 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 um, I would say this to really any young practitioner, is that one of the greatest skills that you could have is communication skills. Your, your, your ability to sit down across the table from a coach or from a manager, look them in the eye and give an account for why you believe what you believe and why, how you came to the decision that you came to. Mm -hmm. um, the data, all it does is it backs you up. So, you know, I, if I can take a simple like road of showing them some type of PDF file that has, you know, why I've come to the decision, they'll say, okay, I trust you. Mm. Um, but you know, those communication skills take a long time to, to grow and to, to learn how to, and, and coaches, you know, coaches come in and come out and you have to learn a new style with different coaches. Right. So uh, it's complex, but the one thing that isn't complex, um, and it will always be the same is how you learn, how do you learn to communicate and give reason for why you do what you do? Mm. So, uh, I love telling the story. And if you can tell a story well, then um, you become a genuine advocate for both the club and for the player. 
No, for sure, for sure. Um, this has been great so far, but guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Do not go anywhere. Part two, we have some deeper questions that we're going to get into. So stay right there. We'll be right back. VTruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy-to-use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about VTruve today. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one as a side hustle, or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than Team Builder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, Team Builder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing risk of injury. Head over to teambuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started. Okay, we are back here on the soccer fitness experience. Russell here as well with Sarah. Sarah also has some great questions for you as well. Um, Sarah, let's get to it. What do you got for us? Yeah, so thinking about like from the performance standpoint and I guess more specifically returning to sport, um, you do some work in nutrition. What are some guidelines that you'd recommend for players wanting to return to sport, get better in you know, the most optimized way? Yeah, it, oh man, it's so hard because there's the there's the one part where the the nutritionist really has a fantastic plan and a great idea and really wants to walk with this player, but the player is dealing with emotional issues about being injured, emotional issues about how long the rehab is going to take, um, emotional issues about the fact that maybe somebody is going to take their place. And so they actually eat their emotions, right? And so it actually goes completely against your plan. And so you have to have some sort of um, empathy uh, with the player, but you also have to have some sort of um, um, diplomacy to be able to say to that player, hey, look, um, I understand how you feel. Um, You eating your emotions and eating your situation is actually going to take you even further backwards right and so there's a process in which you win these people over you walk with them in the emotions of it um there's been moments when players have been hurt and i've gone over to their house and i'm just sat with them and i've processed that with them when they feel ready um, and usually they will they'll come to you and they'll say what do i need to do and that's the perfect time um some nutritional things you know i'm I'm always about, this is not when somebody's hurt, I'm always about eating some type of anti-inflammatory foods, right? So, you know, my secret stuff is I I tell all our players, whether they're hurt or not, like you should be drinking tart cherry juice before bed, right? That's an anti-inflammatory drink that also has melatonin in it, so it helps you sleep really well, right? If there's a player, for example, that has an ACL tear and it's coming back, 
Um, we try to quantify how many calories that they need to eat, uh, depending on their weight. And then we try, and then I try to give them some like cheat meals so they can just enjoy life and know that this isn't all suffering. Right. So, because who wants to eat, you know, you know, salad and tomatoes consistently after coming off an ACL tear, like there's so many emotions that's there. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so, I could say so much about the topic, but in short, it, the emotional component is just as big and sometimes, if not bigger, to get to the genuine nutrition part when players are injured. Yeah, I love that you said that. I think a lot of times our body like is used for what we want and also it takes the brunt of the physical and emotional work of whatever we're doing. And in terms of that, like, do you have any tools or resources that you like to teach or offer your athletes um, for enhancing that emotional intelligence? Like do you use meditation? Do you use certain like uh, like wellness strategies? Yeah, good question. Um, I'm, I'm huge on journaling. This is my thing. Like I, I um, we have a player at um, Orlando city um, who he's a first team goalkeeper and I, I'm always in awe by him. His, his name is Adam Grinwest and I'm in awe because every single time I come in, I come in around, you know, 6 7 a.m. And he's there. He's there before all the staff. And he's sitting in the locker room and he's journaling how, what he's going to do today, what his goals are, um, his concerns, his fears. Um, and then he processes those out. And then he goes to somebody that's safe and he, and he talks it out with them so that he's prepared and ready mentally and emotionally for the training session. Um, and I've just found it when I go back and I look at my journal entries from, you know, months before years before i've gone back five years and looked at journals and i found just stories of how i've made it through some of the hardest moments in my life um when i was 19 i lost my father and i remember that being a massive piece of me trying to 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 fight in my professional soccer career and it just not going well and coming it coming to an end and i remember journaling i don't think i'll ever get back into pro soccer Right. And a decade later, you know, you come, let me look where I'm at and look how I'm influencing the people around me. And there's something beautiful about that story. And so, you know, journaling for me is a process that I use to to get out what I'm feeling for the day. Uh, and most often than not, when players take on the challenge of journaling every day, what they find is them realizing, oh, I didn't even know I had those emotions. I didn't even know I actually thought that that pro- that thought. I didn't know I was mad about this, right? And then you go along the journey with them uh, of, of processing that. And when you do that, then they ask you even more questions like, so what should I do to get better, right? So this is, this is, I, this is the underlying lining like thing that I, you'll hear me say throughout the whole thing. But if we, if we care for the human being, like we're really going to get the nitty gritty of helping them perform really well. I am so glad that you said this. Um, I think journaling is just, uh, I can't express like how much it changes the game, just like pouring it out onto a piece of paper. Like it puts a name to whatever you're feeling and it, it forces you to put a name to your feeling like, okay, anger, okay, jealousy, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, it makes you reflect and then going to look at it at the end of the day, even it's just like, oh, wow, like I've come a long way today. Like I could have acted so differently and, you know, I chose not to. Um, or I chose to act better. And, and, and reflected players become emotionally mature players. Yeah. Right. Because 
they have they have the ability to understand why they feel what they feel and then to be able to process with their teammates or or not even process but to know in that moment of of tension um you know this is why and where i'm at where i'm at and that 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 can create some type of healing and some type of okay i'm ready to go another day because let's be honest seasons are long right and you you could be on top of the world in week three and be on the bottom of the team in week four you know it's just it things happen so quickly so our, our ability to have safe people around us where we can use an outlet like journaling is, is, is huge. Yeah, that's incredible. Is there a common theme, um, you know, behavior, language, uh, feeling that you found where it's not necessarily conducive to a positive and maybe welcoming environment that you've seen pretty frequently? Yes. Yeah, I, I think um, in soccer, we have banter culture. Mm. And banter culture is the idea that we poke fun of each other, right? Or something that is true about each other. Um, and usually when banter culture becomes comfortable, uh, the culture of the locker room changes from encouragement to roughhousing. You ultimately hurt people's feelings. And whether you're a five-year-old or you're a 32-year-old in, in a professional sport, people's feelings get hurt. And when people's feelings get hurt, they don't want to play for the team anymore. And then they don't want to pass you the ball. And this crap is real. It doesn't matter how how elite you are. Right? And we see this all the time. In the NFL, we see this in Major League Baseball. We see this just uh, relationships become sour because of banter culture. And so for me, you know, I've really been working hard and helping players understand the result of banter culture, but not in a way that kills their vibe, right? Because there is a vibe in the locker room. And so there's a balance. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of players that love to clown on each other. And ultimately what happens is if you watch their body language, the moment that that guy gets clowned on, their body language changes. And so somebody has to have the intentionality to see that and to go and encourage them. So one of the things that I've been doing is after every training session, when we go through some type of recovery, we end with, with every player with their eyes closed, laying on their back. And I want them to feel the grass. I want them to feel the sun on their face. I want them to get reflective. And one of the questions that I ask is, um, what is something that a player on your team did that you want to say, great job, that you want to encourage them for? Who is somebody on your team that's a great teammate that you just want to give kudos to? And it is amazing to watch these players light up, right? And the next day they come into training session and they're different. Hmm. And they want to they want to go to war for each other. So in my opinion, banter culture has its place in moments, but it shouldn't become just that, a culture. It should become, you know, something that we do every once in a while just just for, you know, kicks and giggles, but it shouldn't become a culture. I think that's that's great. Um, and one of the things that, that you just mentioned, uh, a phrase, go to war with each other, um, that, that might sound kind of odd to maybe somebody who, who doesn't see it day to day. My, my mind immediately went to Argentina in the World Cup, where I, uh, several players, Rodrigo De Paul, Emi Martinez, uh, they came out during and after the tournament and they said, we're willing to die for each other. 
And I heard it the first time. I was like, eh, you know, maybe that's kind of cat. They're, they're stretching a little bit. But you see it in their play of like, wow, they are – that's what it takes. You know, they, they actually will like go out to war with each other. And that mentality doesn't have to be vicious. It's really more like, like really understanding the brotherhood that you're in, the time that you spend with each other. And like you said, yeah, I mean, banter is here and there, but it doesn't have to be the culture. It could be, you know, maybe, maybe a way to have fun, but not, not all in all everything that the environment is shaped around. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, your, your story of Argentina, uh, on the other side of that is, um, Belgium, Mm, right. Yeah. Who, who the wheels came off from the very beginning and, uh, there was a lack of respect, a lack of intentionality and purpose in that locker room. And you, and, and the locker room was lost within the first, the first two games. Right. And so you have two very different teams on very different sides of the spectrum. Right. And you, and you saw when they, when, when Argentina would walk onto the field, they were together. They'd wait for each other. They would go through to the press together. Um, everybody would enter into the locker room together. Um, that wasn't true about Belgium. It was a free for all, right? And so you have trust, authority, responsibility, um, vulnerability in this room with Argentina that you just did not have. You had disrespect, you had banter, and all that stuff compiles on itself. And then you lose the locker room and no one wants to play for each other. No one wants to go to war because it is. I mean, you, 40 games, 60 games in a season, however many games you get within an MLS season, it is war. And you're playing for your contract. You're playing for so many things. Um, but you really need to have 11 people, 23 people, however many people are rostered uh, that are on your team or, you know, or in your army, per se, uh, to help you succeed. So, yeah, really good question. And culture is not something you can you know, change in a night, of course. But like as people on staff, um, what are steps that maybe we can take to start get that ball rolling and create a good environment for them? Yeah, you know, I've always said that culture is like steering a cruise ship with a popsicle straw. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it'll turn. You know, eventually the boat will turn, but it's going to take a long time. Right. And so there are ways that you can um, change culture quickly. Um, but that takes really good communication skills. And if it and it takes you taking some pretty bold risks. It's like, let me give you an example. I, you know, um, when I decided to make the transition to the academy for Orlando City, I knew that with change comes fear. Right. At any club, when you make a change, people are wondering about their jobs, their roles. Um, and people were wondering, you know, who's this Russell guy? What is he going to do? And so I used the uh, what was at my hands to win the academy over. So what I did was I, I had an intern and I make these recovery smoothies for the first team, but we made extra. And after the training session was over... Uh, I walked by the academy to see if everyone was gone except the staff, and they were, and they were having a staff meeting. And I put all of these smoothies onto this cart, and I walked it up uh, to the meeting, and I simply said to them, um, I am so thankful uh, to be a part of your team, 
Um, I was just thinking about you. I know we work so hard. There's just something that's delicious and fun. Let's have a smoothie together and, you know, let's just have a moment. And these guys, their, their, their faces, these, I mean, these are hard, tough men, right? Like machismo, Argentinian, like everything is weak, right? <laughs> and they get a mango smoothie in their hands and everyone's hugging them each other. And, and it's like, you know, the music turns on. It's a freaking party, right? And so that, that is one way of changing culture is somebody has to take the responsibility of, of saying, I want to change and maneuver this culture but you have to win the appropriate people over. And so, you know, for me, um, that's, that's what I've been working on is winning the appropriate people over, but then also um, leading up saying to the people above me, Hey, I think this would be a really good idea. What do you think? And then they think it's their idea. Right. <laughs> and usually what happens is when people feel like it's their idea, they want to go along with you. Right. So uh, you're just, you're right. You're correct. Uh, culture is incredibly challenging to change, but if you know who the the leaders are and you make good relationships and you have what I call relational capital, uh, then you can, you can exchange that capital in a way that actually helps the whole club in a, in a healthy environment. Wow. That's, that's really cool. I mean, and there's nothing that gets, you know, wins people over like food. That's, that's true, right? straight to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to, I have a question on leadership, but before we get to that, just like this thought of, you know, when you have these players laying in the grass reflecting, um, you know, say player A crosses a line with player B um, and, and player B is ruminating over it and they're reflecting over it on the grass. Has there ever been a point where that player has been like, you know, what, I'm going to say something really nice about this player that totally gave me crap a couple hours ago, um, but I'm going to turn this around. Like, have you ever seen that? Uh not not done um, without some type of nudging, right? Like, uh, but that that is because I'm working with academy boys. Um, I've seen top professionals do it um, because they know the consequence of that. Um, they know that that is going to affect the locker room. They know that that's going to affect maybe uh, match day. Um, but academy boys is it's just one day and they are uh, young and not always as forgiving. Right. So uh, there's a lot of nudging, soft nudging. Um, but I have seen moments where I, for example, I had one player that had a, a really nasty two foot tackle from behind um, player got a pretty bad um, high ankle sprain and um, you know, he was out for a little while. And the player came in to, to the training room and he gave the player a hug and, a, and said, can you, will you forgive me? Um, and that was a profound moment. Oh, wow. That was a profound moment. Um, because the player that was hurt had to acknowledge, you still kind of screwed me, um, but I do forgive you. And so I told the player, you can't just receive the forgiveness. You should go on a journey with him forever, however long he is out. And so, you know, he met with this player routinely. And when he came into the training room, he sat down next to him and they became good friends. And uh, now from, from what I see, they're kind of inseparable, right? So we've all had that moment as a kid, right? When some, somebody really hurt your feelings, but they ultimately came like a really good friend from it. And that's kind of what, what has happened there. So I've seen it, but it's rare. 
Wow. I just got goosebumps from that moment. That's, that's really sweet. Also, like, how many of your friends are like, oh, I thought you were a total jerk when I met you? Like, so many good friends from that. Yeah, I think, I think my, my wife still says that to me. So. <laughs> so it's working. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, like, being a good leader, I kind of mentioned you and the intern bringing the smoothies. How would you suggest being a good leader, whether at, you know, someone who's maybe higher up in the staff, maybe someone who's kind of just joining the staff as an intern, what would you suggest? You know, there's so many books on leadership. There's so many thoughts on leadership. Um, everyone, I think, is trying to define what a good leader is. In my own experience, I think I really feel like good leaders are just servants. Um, we use this term, it's starting to be thrown around a lot more, but servant leadership, the idea that uh, you come in and instead of leading from the front, front and barking, Instead, you're grabbing tools and you're saying, come work with me. And I love that. I think that's right. Um, because even in the military, you don't see leaders say, go do this. They, you fight alongside them. Uh, and there's something right. There's something um, real about that. Authentic, that's probably the right word. Something authentic about that style of leadership. And most of the time, uh, you can't be a good leader if you're not a good follower. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to follow, you're never going to lead anybody. Right. And so for me, um, when I'm testing out leaders, I'm saying who could potentially lead um, from the front. I often ask them to do a couple uh, tasks that uh, challenge their humility, um, that challenge their willingness to follow. And sometimes follow leaders or follow people that are underneath them because I want to know if they have that capacity. Um, because if they do, I think then they'll get up, to the, get up front and they'll actually serve with tools in their hand and not with a large mouth. So, you know, leadership today, um, especially in sport, is changing. Um, I forget the guy that's the Miami Dolphins uh, head coach right now. I don't know if you guys know his name, um, but he's really he's really different to what the nfl is doing right now and so he's trying to find ways to connect with his players that other coaches aren't doing so during preseason for example uh in in, in, in miami he wore um, a fleece jacket and a hoodie and long fleece pants because he wanted to somehow mimic and understand what the players could potentially be feeling during training right and then so he goes up to the players and he says do you feel like you can go anymore? And they said, no, coach, I'm exhausted. He goes, I am just standing watching you in this, in, the, in this clothing, and I feel like I'm ready to go inside. Training's done, right? So a lot of leaders like to say more, 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 bark, get on the line, when ultimately there's so many other ways that actually you can win players over to compete even harder for you if you would find ways to lead alongside them, to work alongside them. Right. So this is why things like service projects are good, right? Because you're, you're helping the community, but you're doing it alongside your players, right? This is the reason why in preseason, um, I like to do preseason with my players. So I will run the same thing that they're running. And sometimes I'll run alongside them uh, because I want them to know I'm suffering with them. Um, and then also that I'm, I'm more fit than them. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, leadership is, is um, I think it's right now uh, in sport, is, it is, um, it's changing. It's changing for the better. People are starting to understand that people won't follow you unless you know how to follow, um, unless you know how to um, work alongside and get your hands dirty. And that's right. And that's, that's, I don't, you know, I don't want to follow anybody if they don't know how to follow me. Right. And so there's ebbs and flows of, of, um, of leading up and, and being led to happen all day, every day in every corner of the organization. Um, so. Yeah, completely agree. It's like you want someone that you can work with, not necessarily work for. Um, I think there's a big distinction there. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when I think of all the leaders that I really value. That's exactly you know how I would feel about them. So that's really important. So to tie everything together, really hit it home as members of sports performance staff, what is something that we can implement maybe even tomorrow uh, to create an environment where that confident vulnerability is embodied, um, if not the norm? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, on, on a recent podcast I was a part of, the leader asked me, like, what's your one takeaway you want everyone to know about your work? And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into that question just as much as yours, because I think one of the greatest skills that I have is the ability to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And it's tough, right? Because we have so many ideas and so many thoughts on so many, on so many complex issues that happen in sport. Um, but ultimately, most of the players don't have a coach or a leader or a mentor who just quietly listens to them. Um, and in my experience, the ones that quietly listen are the ones that went over that confident vulnerability. And those players become willing to be confident, confidently humble alongside you because they see that you're a good listener. Um, so we have players, you know, I have one player right now who is struggling with an ankle injury. And he told me today, like, I feel useless. Mm. I said, that's a big feeling. It's a big emotion. And he doesn't feel like that's a, like it's a safe environment to tell anybody that, but he told me. And so that is sacred now between me and him. And I will never go tell anybody that in the, in the organization, you know, they might hear this on the podcast, but I will never tell them who it was. And that player will feel like he can trust me with his life. And that's some really profound stuff because when the performance and the soccer playing comes to an end, he's going to be calling me about his kids and we'll be talking about what it's like to be a parent. And when he gets into his sixties and seventies and his bones start cracking and it's harder to walk and I'm 80, I'll be telling him about, you know, the latest, greatest wheelchairs that you can use. Right. <laughs> um, but now what we're doing now um, affects the rest of their lives. And sometimes we don't look at it like that. Sometimes we're only looking at the latest thing. How can we get this tendon stronger? How can we get more wins on the win record? And that matters. Um, but I think what's going to keep me in the industry, what's going to keep me alive, um, is the ability to listen and to walk through the journey and the story of these players, both young and old. Um, and so that skill of being you know, 
quick to listen and slow to speak is a skill that will win any athlete that you work with. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Russell, thank you so much for, for your time today. This was a lot deeper than I, I knew it was going to be deep, but wow, this, this, yeah, it, it whew, okay. This, this is going to be shared. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we know you have a family at home and we know you got to be up early tomorrow. So I just wanted to say thank you for, for sharing all your thoughts, feelings, and experiences with us today. Um, for, for any medical performance staff, um, that are interested in contact to you to maybe learn more about what you do. Um, what's the best way for, for people to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best. It's kind of my professional outlet. Um, I am very open uh, to having conversations with people. I'm not, I'm not closed off. Um, you can just uh, message me. Uh, you can also hit me up on Instagram, but you're just going to see photos of my daughter and, 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 my, and my wife and me. And I don't know if you're interested in that kind of stuff, they're great. Uh, but if you're not, then just follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> All right, perfect. And we will have your profile linked in the description to this episode. So if you're listening, just check it out there. Uh, Russell, thank you again so much for your time. Peace and love, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys.